Senator Elizabeth Warren has released a DNA test proving that she is just about as white as it is possible for a girl to be without actually becoming invisible. Warren took the test after being taunted by President Trump for falsely claiming she was part Cherokee. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's nothing at all wrong with being a white woman. Many of the Rockettes are white women. And of course, Gwyneth Paltrow is very attractive as well. But the problem for Warren, or to use her native name, Dances with Horse Manure, is that she listed herself as Native American on federal forms when she taught law school, and she repeatedly told the story of how her parents had to elope because of anti-Indian prejudice. But that story now seems to confirm Warren's native name lies like a dog, because according to even the suspect analysis of a Stanford University professor she happens to know, Warren has got so little Indian blood in her, it may just be because one of her ancestors got some on his shirt when he was killing one of them. In any case, Senator Warren, whose native name is woman who would cheat to be president, has less Indian DNA than most white Americans and far less than what's required to claim membership in anything but the Malarkey tribe. The news media was quick to back Warren's blatant lies, running such headlines as the Boston Globe headline, quote, Warren lied about her ancestry, now we will too, unquote. The USA Today headline, quote, we hate Donald Trump, so we'll pretend to believe Warren, unquote. And of course, the New York Times headline, quote, Trump slaughters entire Indian village in our imagination, unquote. Warren herself, speaking under her native name, walks like a white girl, told reporters, quote, I will fight no more forever. I go to join the great spirit in the happy hunting ground. Trump give heap big wampum or speak with forked tongue. How Kimosabi, unquote. Sounds authentic to me. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray. All right, I'm back speaking as a black woman from my, my, my DNA test. Uh, boy, you know, at this point, you get so much for subscribing to The Daily Wire that you, that 10 bucks that you are clinging to, like Ebenezer Scrooge, that could be getting you so much if you just give it to us once a month or give us 100 bucks, we'll give you the whole year, we'll give you the leftist tears tumbler, you can uh, watch the... Uh, Another Kingdom Season 2. You can watch that every Monday. You get it on Friday if you're not a subscriber. And and you not only get to ask questions in the mailbag, you also today will get to ask questions in the conversation, which is at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific. And I will be answering all your questions and making your outlook on life 100% better 50% of the time, probably. As always, this episode will be free for everyone to watch on Facebook and YouTube, but only subscribers can ask the questions. If you don't get into the conversation, ask your questions for tomorrow in the mailbag by going to dailywire.com, hitting the podcast button, hitting the Andrew Claven podcast, hitting the mailbag. Ask them all. Ask about religion. Ask about politics. Ask about your personal life. My answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life for the better. <laughs> Uh, as if. All right. And I know your first question, the one just to save you from asking the obvious question, how I look so spectacular. It is because I exercise like a demon. And that is why I love beach body on demand because who, I can't go to the gym. I just do not have time. I'm in hotel rooms. I'm traveling. I'm always doing something. Beach body on demand delivers exercise programs, nutritional advice, everything you need straight to your device. 
Okay, it's got a history of success as a company behind P90X, Insanity, 21-Day Fix. Oh, I did Insanity. I do Insanity sometimes. It is well-named, insane. It is just incredible. You can work out on your schedule. Uh, Workouts are as short as 10 minutes. They don't require extra equipment. And the time it takes you to drive and park at the gym, you could be absolutely done sitting back and just drinking heavily. Join over 1 million people currently on Beachbody On Demand. And right now, my listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text Andrew to 303030. You will get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information, and support totally free. Again, just text Andrew to 303030. Get Beachbody On Demand. It is excellent stuff. So I, I, I didn't want to talk about any more about this Elizabeth Warren show, but it, this Elizabeth Warren story. But I've got to talk about it because of the media, because of the way the media is doing it. And I want to just talk about I want to tell the real story here so you actually can see what is going on. You know, there's a, an old Latin tag, falso in uno, falsus in omnibus. If you're false in one thing, you'll be false in everything. And so. As you're listening to the story, as you're hearing it on NPR, on ABC, on NBC, at the New, in the New York Times, is any left winger asking himself, huh, if they would lie about this, if they would twist this, if they would con me about this, what else are they conning me about? What else are they scamming me about? How much of their opinions are false? What about their movie reviews? What about their headlines? Is everything just a scam from these people? I think it is a fair question to ask when you see this, because here it is laid out right in front of you. All these headlines saying Warren confirms her Indian heritage. Warren gets her ancestry right. Oh, Donald Trump was wrong about this. This, Remember, this is Donald Trump he has been kidding her, calling her Pocahontas. It's supposed to be Focahontas, right? Because it's F-A-U-X. She's a fake Pocahontas. Harvard, when she was teaching there, listed her as one of their women of color. She put on federal forms that she was Native American when she taught at Penn Law School and Harvard Law School. When Trump challenged her, okay, when she was put on the dime, because he's obviously was lying, she told this story over and over again, her parents, it was supposed to touch you, move you, so you wouldn't, so you'd feel that Trump was being mean, feel that Trump was being mean to the poor Indian woman. You know, first you take her land, then you, you know, you kill her tribe, you burn her teepees, and then you insult her by saying she's not really, so she would tell the story. So some wag at the free beacon just strung together all the time she has told this story. Here's Elizabeth Warren on different shows telling the story over and over again. Let me tell you a little bit about my family. Let me tell you the story of my family. <laughs> my mother and dad were born and raised in Oklahoma. My mom and dad were born and raised out in Oklahoma. My mother and daddy were born and raised in Oklahoma. My father fell in love with my mother when they were both still teenagers. My daddy was in his teens when he <laughs> fell in love with my mother. My daddy first saw my mother when they were both teenagers. A beautiful girl who played the piano. <laughs> tall, quiet girl who played the piano. He was just head over heels over her and he was head over heels in love with her head over heels but his family was bitterly opposed to their relationship <laughs> and his family was bitterly opposed to that but his family was bitterly opposed to their relationship because she was part Native American. Because she was part Native American. Because she was part Native American. My parents eloped. 
They eventually eloped. They survived <clears throat> the Great Depression. They survived the Dust Bowl. They survived the Great mm -hmm. Depression, the Dust Bowl. <laughs> they went through a lot of hard times, a lot of knocks. They raised three boys, my older brothers, all of whom went off to the military. They raised my three brothers, all of whom headed off to the military. They hung together for 63 years. They hung together for 63 years. I know who I am because of what my mother and my father told me, from our mom and our dad, what my grandmother and my grandfather told me, from our grandparents, what all my aunts and uncles told me, right. from all of our aunts and uncles. It's a part of who I am, and no one's ever going to take that away. It's a part of me, and nobody's going to take that part of me away. They lied to you, Liz. They lied. You got no Indian blood. She goes out. She gets a friend to test. She doesn't even send it to 23andMe, like a reputable company. She gets a friend. And he, this, they all have to do this because they don't have a lot of Native American DNA to test it against, right? So what they tested against, they use samples from Mexico, Peru, and Colombia. So she could be a little tiny drop, Aztec maybe. But all of this, all of this is to find out that she has between 164th and one. 1,024th of some kind of, you know, native North American blood, maybe, maybe, okay? Because the whole test seems bogus to me, but maybe, let, let me play, Matt's Idea Shop, who I follow on Twitter, who I really like, he's very funny, he put out what 1,024th of the movie Pocahontas looks like. Here it is. That's how that's how Indian Elizabeth Warren is at most. I mean, really, it is nonsense. Most Americans are twice, have twice as much as she does. And here is what the Cherokee Nation has to say. And I'm just setting this all up. The only reason I'm setting this all up so you can see how the press covered this. Here's what the Cherokee Nation, this is uh, Cherokee Nation Secretary of State Chuck Hoskin Jr. A DNS, DNA test is useless to determine tribal citizenship. Current, current DNA tests do not even distinguish whether a person's ancestors were indigenous to North or South America. Sovereign tribal nations set their own legal requirements for citizenship, and while DNA tests can be used to determine lineage, such as paternity, to an individual, it is not evidence for tribal affiliation. Using a DNA test to lay claim to any connection to the Cherokee Nation or any tribal nation, even vaguely, is inappropriate and wrong. It makes a mockery out of DNA tests and its legitimate uses, while also dishonoring legitimate tribal governments and their citizens whose ancestors are well-documented and whose heritage is proved. Senator Warren is undermining tribal interests with her continued claims of tribal heritage. This is the tribe. This is the Cherokees actually saying this, okay? So it's a complete self-own, one of the hilarious terms the internet has given us, a self-own. She has <laughs> completely made herself look like an idiot. Here is a montage from our friends at Newsbusters of the networks covering this story. Tonight, calling his bluff after relentless taunts by President Trump over Senator Elizabeth Warren's claims of Native American ancestry. They call her Pocahontas. Pocahontas, Pocahontas. Warren is now answering her campaign, releasing a DNA analysis, stating there is strong evidence the senator had a Native American in her family going back six to ten generations. Today, President Trump was dismissive. Senator Elizabeth Warren releasing DNA test results to back up her claims of Native American heritage. The report indicates that Senator Warren's Native American ancestor is between six and ten generations back. 
They're just lying. They're just lying to defend her. And if, if they're lying in one thing, are they lying in everything? Is anybody who watches this asking, gee, am I being conned all the time? If you don't want to get conned, you know what you could get? You could get stamps.com. .com, stamps.com is the easy way to get to the post office. The post office has so many great services, but nowadays you want them in your computer, just where you have everything else is in your computer. And with stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk 24-7 when it's convenient for you, which is a big deal to me. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package using your own computer and printer and the mail carrier picks it up. You have no idea how much I love this thing in LA where to get anywhere, to get to your next door neighbor, to get to your mailbox takes 20, 30 minutes because of the traffic. That's that's underestimating it. With this, you just click, print, mail, you're done. It could not be easier. And right now, you can use Claven for this special offer. It includes up to $55 free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Claven. That's stamps.com. Enter Claven, and you can put in your first letter. Just write to someone and say, how do you spell Claven? It is K-L-A-V. A-N. So I got to finish this this story because it does go on, right? I mean, she has done so many things with this Indian about her high cheekbones like all the Indians have. That was one thing she says. So now one of the taunts that Trump went after her with was Trump said, well, we'll see what he said. He said, I'll give you a million dollars if you take a DNA test and prove that you're an Indian. Okay. So here he is talking to the reporters. Here's his reaction to this hilarious news. This is Trump out in the rain. Who cares? Who cares? I didn't say that. No, I didn't. You better read it again. I hope she's running for president because I think she'd be very easy. I hope that she is running. I do not think she'd be difficult at all. She'll destroy the country. She'll make our country into Venezuela. With that being said, I don't want to say bad things about her because I hope she would be one of the people that would get through the process. It's going to be a long process for the Democrats. Okay, so the press immediately jumps on this. Oh, there's Trump lying again. He did say he would give her a million dollars. Here's just a, a sample from Anderson Cooper. Quick one. Well, today he's asking us not to care about an insult that he repeatedly hurled at a sitting U.S. senator. And he's asking us not to believe what we saw him say on tape in front of a crowd of thousands of people. Also late today, he tried blaming the target, saying she, not he, owes the country an apology. But we'll have more on that in a moment. Keep in mind, it's textbook gaslighting. We've talked about this before, asking people to not believe what they see and hear, challenging reality. Textbook gaslighting because they're not telling the truth. Here is what Trump actually said. I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity, paid for by Trump, if you take the test and it shows you're an Indian. Uh, Okay, if you take the test and it proves you're an Indian. It doesn't prove it proves she's a white girl. That's what it proves. It is the test that says you are a white girl. It could have just come back with that. You're white. Bingo. You are white. Unless we're going to go back to the days of real bigotry when they say, well, you know, you have a drop of black blood and you can't come in here. But even th- even if that were the case, even if we were living under those prejudiced days, this would not suffice because no one would be able to see it or know it or tell that it was there. Trump is utterly, completely, totally right. She is utterly, completely, totally 
scamming you and the networks are lying. And so what else are they lying about? Well, it's everything. It is everything they're lying about. Speaking of which, if you want to hear some truth told, it is finally time. We, we had to skip a week uh, because everybody was so busy putting together another kingdom. But we've finally gotten back to the lefties dictionary. We are up to J. Let us find out what J is for. J is for jihad. According to leftists, jihad is a much misunderstood concept in the West. Due to Islamophobia, many bigoted Westerners have come to fear the word jihad unnecessarily. A proper reading of the Quran reveals that jihad is a spiritual struggle during which a Muslim attempts to rise to a higher plane of consciousness by slaughtering unbelievers, raping their women, taking over their civilizations, and persecuting and oppressing them until they're all dead. Thus, to oppose jihad is to thwart the spiritual development of a religious believer. You wouldn't want to thwart someone's spiritual development, would you? Of course not. That would be wrong. There are over 150 verses concerning jihad in the Quran. Almost all of them refer to waging war against unbelievers. But it's a metaphor for spiritual struggle with a lot of severed heads and dead bodies and wailing women and so forth, but only in a metaphorical spiritual sense. In short, jihad is a religious concept, and religion is sacred. That's why it's called religion. If it weren't sacred, it would not be called religion, but something else like killing and raping people. <laughs> then you would be able to oppose it. But as long as it's called religion, you must submit to being killed and raped. That's in the Constitution. And lest any foul Jews or Christians go around feeling superior to anybody, just remember the Bible has lots of ugly things in it, too. Like when Jesus went on the Crusades and murdered gay people, or when the Jews conquered Canaan and then became big-shot doctors and charged everyone an arm and a leg just for a lousy checkup. So really, when you think about it, it's Jews and Christians who are the evil ones and Muslims who are nice. Except for the whole jihad slaughtering and raping people thing, which is very spiritual for the Muslim. For everyone else, it's just being killed and raped, also known as jihad. J is for jihad. I'm Andrew Clavin with the Lefties Dictionary. Somehow they're not covering this series in the mainstream media. I don't know what it is. What they don't like. You know what's great, however? <laughs> I can't believe that people at the Daily Wire put this stuff out. What's wrong with them? What is, what is wrong with those people? Uh, you know what is great, though, is honey. I love this thing. This is so easy and saves you so much money without even thinking about it. I don't know why everybody doesn't do it. I mean, all you do, it takes like about two seconds. It's a free shopping tool that automatically searches the Internet for the best promo codes every time you buy something online. So you sign up. It takes a, a couple of clicks and... It takes a couple of clicks. It has saved listeners of this podcast on average 34 bucks a piece. I mean, I know, but it, it happens right away. It takes two clicks. I put it on. I went on Amazon and started shopping things. My own books were discounted. It's just stuff you wouldn't know if you didn't have this thing. It just finds the little coupons that you wouldn't know were even there, and it gives you a deal. And I've gotten books on it. I've gotten uh, all kinds of stuff. It is just great. It is a money-saving shopping tool that everyone can agree on, and you can get honey for free. There's nothing to it. Join honey.com slash Andrew. That's joinhoney.com slash Andrew. Joinhoney.com slash Andrew. It's the easiest way to save money while shopping online. So 
The other thing that I, I've talked about that the press does, besides just out and out lying, is they take snapshots of a moving train. We're always, in a, situations are always developing, always changing. And what they're always doing is looking for that moment that they can freeze so that the, they can attack Trump. So when NAFTA was going on, remember, the Canadians were left out and he kept saying, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And they kept saying, look, he's leaving the Canadians out. It's all bogus, it's all fake. And then the Canadians came to the table. It was a moving negotiation. Well, now we've got this Khashoggi thing, Jamal Khashoggi, the, the journalist, the Wa Washington Post columnist, who seems to have been murdered in Turkey, in the Saudi uh, consulate. And it's still developing, and the press is using this to hammer Trump. He doesn't care. He, all he cares about is the money because we have arms deals. This is not true. First of all, the thing is getting more and more complex. As, it, as we understand more about who Khashoggi is, it really does seem that he was kind of in with the, royal, the Saudi royal family. Plus, he was a supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood. And the problem is, in the Middle East, things are complex that he believed that the Muslim Brotherhood was a force for democracy, which is probably true. It is probably true that the Muslim Brotherhood is a force for democracy. When the force for democracy in your region is the Muslim Brotherhood, you're not ready for democracy. That is, it's simply that true. The Muslim Brotherhood is a radical Islamic, Islamist, non-secular, theocratic group, terrorist group. And if they're your democracy, that's not what you want. Meanwhile, you've got this guy, uh, uh, MBS, they call him, uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, who is the, now the crown prince of, uh, of Saudi Arabia, who's clearly kind of a bumbling, you know, he wants to be the glorious kind of reformer, but also the authoritarian. He wants to fix the economy. He's really doing a bad job of it. So now there is a report, at least in the Wall Street Journal, that what they're going to say is that, they, uh, that Khashoggi died during a an interrogation. They it's like they it's like they killed him accidentally while they were trying to kill him. He accidentally died while we were trying to kill him. That's basically what they're, they're going to say because they're now stuck, right? They need us too. We need them not it's not just the money. I know Trump emphasizes that, but it's not just the money. The Iran the Iranians are carving out territory from themselves. The uh, Doyen in, in Turkey is also a fan of the Muslim Brotherhood. He's trying to bring back the Ottoman Empire with a distinct Islamist flavor. We need the Saudi Arabians. So what we have to do is we have to play it tough with them, but we cannot, we don't want to blow up the relationship. That's what it comes down to. We have to be tough with them. We can't allow them to get away with this, but we don't want to blow up the relationship. So Trump is outside talking to the press. He has sent Pompeo over, Secretary of State over, which is the right thing to do. Here he is talking to the press, telling him what he's, what he's working on. I've asked Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to immediately get on a plane, go to Saudi Arabia. Go to other places if necessary, which he probably will. But with regard to this, go to Turkey if necessary. The king told me that Turkey and Saudi Arabia are working hand in hand very closely on getting to the bottom of what happened. So we'll see what happens. But Mike Pompeo, excuse me, Mike Pompeo is leaving literally within an hour or so. He's heading to Saudi Arabia. We are going to leave nothing uncovered. With that being said, the king firmly denied any knowledge of it. He didn't really know. Maybe, I, I don't want to get into his mind, but it sounded to me like maybe these could have been rogue killers. Who knows? We're going to try getting to the bottom of it very soon. But his was a flat denial. 
So obviously, Trump always likes to get along with his people. He always wants to be in these relationships. He talks about the love, his love for Kim Jong-un in North Korea. It, it seems even our intelligence is sort of saying that they sent people over to kill this guy. It is completely unacceptable. It's completely unacceptable, but it's going to be complex. So Trump is doing the right thing in delaying for now. Lindsey Graham, who is, uh, has always been a big hawk, and always been a supporter of Saudi Arabia because he knows how important they are to us in the region. Uh, he's coming down pretty hard. And I think the stuff that he's saying, he's going after the crown prince. He's saying the crown prince, we should focus on getting rid of him, not breaking up our relationship with Saudi Arabia. Nothing happens in Saudi Arabia without MBS knowing it. Who's MBS? He's the 33-year-old crown prince who mm -hmm. jumped over other people. He's the son of the existing king, and I think he's on a, on a bad track. I can never do business with Saudi Arabia again uh, until we get this behind us. Right. And what does that mean? That means I'm not going back to Saudi Arabia as long as this guy's in charge. So you're telling the crown prince has to leave? It's up to them, but I'm not going back. I've been their biggest defender on the floor of the United States Senate. This guy is a wrecking ball. He had this guy murdered in a consulate in Turkey, and to expect me to ignore it, I feel used and abused. I was on the floor every time defending Saudi Arabia because there's a good ally. There's a difference between a country and an individual. The right. MBS figure is, to me, toxic. He can never be a world leader on the world stage. So, so this is the way these guys have to talk, that senators have to talk. They have to come down hard on this. This is a real thing. But all I'm saying about this is now that you know, I mean, I know the people who are listening to this know, but now that you know that basically the mainstream media is simply running a scam, that's all they're doing, they're running a pro-Democrat scam, when you're watching this story develop, and it's a big story, and it's an interesting story, and it, a lot is riding on it, just remember that things are much more complicated than even Lindsey Graham is saying. I mean, he knows that this is a very uh, delicate, difficult situation. I, I don't know if they're going to get rid of the crown prince. I don't know what they're going to do. We're not going to let them. I don't think we can let them get away with this kind of you know, murder of a guy who had a green card. He was an American resident. He was a resident American journalist. We do not want this happening. But, but we also have to know this is a complex relationship, a complex area, and we don't want to blow things up. So actually, I think Trump is kind of doing the right thing. He's doing it in his usually usual blustering way. But I think, uh, I think he will get to the right end uh, once Pompeo finds out what the hell is going on. You know, talking about all the things you get when you are a subscriber, I mean, this we're just giving stuff away. It's absurd. It is absurd. We're giving you another kingdom. We're giving you uh, the conversation uh, later today. And then on Wednesday, which is tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, we've got another Daily Wire backstage with the one and only Ben Shapiro, the likewise one and only God King Jeremy Boring. It's not like there's two of him. Me, there's several of me, but the, I'm, I'll, I'll be there by myself. And... Elisha Krauss. We might even let Michael Knowles come in, but uh, I don't know. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, we'll, we'll take questions, but only from Daily Wire subscribers. So make sure to become a Daily Wire subscriber today. You know who we've got coming up is we've got Nick Searcy, the director of Gosnell, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer, which has a screenplay written by me, story and screenplay written by me. And uh, uh, Nick was the director, and he also turns in a terrific performance in it, as well as uh, Dean Cain and uh, um, Alfonso Rachel and the whole, really the whole cast. Uh, so anyway, stay tuned for that. But first, got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Um, come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe for just all these, all this stuff. So much stuff. Just 10 lousy bucks a month, 100 lousy bucks a year. What were you doing with it anyway? Come over to dailywire.com and subscribe.
All right. You all know Nick Searcy. He is an actor and director. He has so many credits to his name. He's probably best known for chief, playing Chief Deputy United States Marshal Art Mullen on Justified, one of my favorite cop shows ever. Uh, he was great in it, and we talk about that a little bit. He is the director of Gosnell, the trial of America's biggest serial killer story of an abortionist who got away with murder because nobody wanted to touch the subject. Uh, let us uh, talk to Nick Searcy. International film and television star Nick Searcy. I feel like I've arrived. That you're t- now <laughs> you t- finally actually- made it. Yeah. In. You <laughs> well, finally- and it's Peabody Award winning international. Peabody, film I'm sorry. Kid. I left out the yeah, Peabody. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. everybody knows that by yeah. now. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, it, it took so long for Gosnell to come out. I forget how I got involved with it. I think I saw, I just saw them raising money on Indiegogo or someplace yeah. like that. And I approached How did you get involved with this? Well, when they had the idea uh, to raise the money on Indiegogo, they actually came to me and asked if I would do a video, just like a little ad for it, and and I did that, and uh, you know, and I, I went on Bill O'Reilly, you know, to to sort of pump the the fundraising campaign, and of course, Bill O'Reilly told me that nobody would want to see a movie about this awful subject. Well, <laughs> well, that was it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so then, after they got the money, I guess that's when they came to you. Because you have to have money before you'll do it. Writers get money up front because they never know. Otherwise, they get thrown out of their houses. That's That's right. That's right. We're always just clinging on. Yeah. And so then, uh, you know, you wrote the script. And then after, I guess, they were done with you, they asked me if I knew any directors. So I sent them a couple of people that I really liked. And they had meetings with them. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And then when they asked me if I knew anybody else, I submitted myself. Ah. And I showed them a, a movie that I directed a few years ago, and they watched it and asked me if I wanted to do it. So. Oh, that's nice. That's good. So the, the Bill O'Reilly thing, I mean, th- this is what we all started with. Every, everybody who talked about this at the beginning was, how do we make a film about this really unpleasant serial killer, uh, abortionist serial killer, that people actually want to see? Right. So, so hey, how, how did you deal with that? Well, you know, well, first of all, your script was so interesting and so... There was so much great information in it that I, I kept, I, I really felt like we could do it without really bombarding people with the images, yeah. that the words and the story would be powerful enough. And so that's what we tried to do is just stick to the procedural aspect of the story, how they caught him, and then how they convicted him. And we managed to do that by, uh, you know, we, we, the film has a great emotional impact, and I think that would have been diminished if we had grossed everybody out yeah, yeah, yeah. with some repulsive uh, kind of images, and we don't. And yeah. so that, that, that's, that's how. I mean, uh, I think Bill O'Reilly was afraid or, or thought it was going to be some sort of thing like the human centipede or something that was just too, <laughs> too disgusting to watch. Well, I but. remember, you know, my pal Cyrus Nwasta, you know Cyrus. Yes. Yeah. You know, he made the Stony of Soraya M. And, you know, people don't want to take their dates to a woman getting stoned. It's a great movie. It's a yeah. terrific movie. But people don't want to go out on a Saturday night and see that. But this this is a crime story. I mean, yeah, it is. And and it and it fun, it works as a movie. That's yeah. what I like most about it. Yes, it's about this issue. But I felt that we really had to make it work just as if it was a movie about any other crime. Right, right, know? right. So, yeah, how, how did you? How did Dean Cain come into it? Um, they approached him, and he read the script and loved it, and, oh. and wanted to get on board. And you know, he was somebody I kind of thought of from the beginning because yeah. he, he just kind of he's he actually resembles the uh, the real life guy. He does resemble him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and he's just you know he has a great energy for it. You need that sort of like 
inquisitive, sort of boisterous, you know, person of deep conviction, and that's what Dean is, and, right. and he really brings that across. I, I have to say, you know, he is a, he is a pal, but I still thought that Alfonso Rachel was like a, a revelation in it. I had no idea that he acted at that level. I thought he was terrific. He was terrific. You know, I remember I only really said one thing to, to Alfonso on the first day of shooting. You know, we were working on this scene, and I said, Zoe, don't try to be interesting. You're interesting enough. Huh. Just relax. Yeah. And after that, he just took off. Yeah, no, I was... And he really, he improvised a lot of stuff that we kept, you know, yeah. because he's just so clever and quick. And, yeah. And no, he's great. He held his own with the, a real pro and Dean, and it was great. So you've been taking the film around, and it seems to be, you seem to be packing houses, and now, you know, now it's open, but what, what kind of reactions are you getting from the audience? You know, it's a very powerful response that the audience has to it. it it's, it's emotional, but it's not emotional in that sort of tearjerker way. It's just moving. Yeah. The story is moving. And, you know, the, the, the journey of the lead prosecutor is moving. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, people have a really powerful emotional response to it. And one of the great things is that it uh, did a bunch of screenings in North Carolina and in Tennessee last week. And at two different screenings, a person in the audience raised their hand and said, I'm, I'm pro-choice. And I really think this is an important movie. Wow. I think everybody should see this. Uh, that's, that is important. That's, yeah. That shows that you were fair. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've said from the beginning, all the information in this movie is stuff. It doesn't matter what side of the issue you're on. You, yeah. This is, this is important information. You need to know what we're talking about. You know, I, I wonder about this when, when you're working with actors, because writers never get to do this. They kind of write the thing. And then by the time the thing is made, you're kind of on another project somewhere. When, when you're talking to the actors about this, do you discuss the issues? I mean, is it a, is that, does that play into it at any point? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that, but it, it's, never, it's never like, you know, we're, we don't discuss them like we're arguing about it. It's, right, right, it's right. more just like they come up in the course of what is this character trying to do and, and you know, what, what is he trying to accomplish in this scene yeah. and, and that kind of thing. Because by the time you get to the... By the time you get to actually shooting the movie, there isn't a lot of time to argue about anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in a war and you've got to get the, the thing done. You know? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, now, you, I mean, I was first introduced to you on Twitter where you, I remember the first words I ever said to you in person were, oh my God, the meanest man on Twitter. You know? Now, it turns out you're actually a fairly civilized human being. I, you know? <laughs> I, I hide that well. <laughs> I mean, on, on Twitter, you are as open, you and James Woods, I mean, you're the two... Yeah. Most open conservatives on Twitter. Yes. I, my Twitter life is like I'm a heel wrestler and I'm out there trying to get heat. And the more people that hate me, the better. That, that's, the, that's the way I look at it. Now, does that, I mean, Woods lost his agent uh, at some point. Has this hurt yeah. you at all in the. Well, I haven't lost my agents. Um, yeah. You know, uh, they, they, and it's not like they don't know who I am. Right. You know? So um, it, it, I'm sure it may have affected me in some way. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's not like they call me up and tell me when they don't give me a job. Right, right. You know, they don't tell you why. Were you always a conservative? Um, pretty much. I mean, I think in my early, in my 20s and 30s, I was so focused on getting an acting career going that I really didn't think about politics that much. Yeah. You know, I, I, but I was kind of a default conservative, I would think. You know, I grew up, uh, my parents were Republicans. And so I kind of had that, you know, backstory. And yeah. so then when, when my wife and I had our first child, that's when I really started paying attention to politics. And 
that, that figured out that I was on that side. One of my, I've said this to you before, one of my favorite moments of all time, seriously, of all time on television. I mean, Justified, one of the great shows of all time. And you played Art Mullins, who was the boss of, you know, you, you, I, I can't remember, you were the lieutenant, maybe? I can't remember your rank. And, uh, uh, chief deputy. Chief deputy. Sorry, yeah. that's right, because he was a U.S. Marshal. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were staking a place out, and you're sitting in your car, and you were listening to Rush Limbaugh. And I thought, only you could have pulled that off. That had, that, 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 did that come from you? Did you do that? Well, what happened was the year <laughs> before, the season before that, um, Rush mentioned the show on on his television program, um, on his radio show, right? And uh, he mentioned me by name. He said, "You know, my favorite character, Art Mullen, came back. Next Thursday, plays." And I was like, "Everybody's calling me like Rush just mentioned you on the air." So, yeah, that's that'll light up your body. I've yeah, had that and so I, I was Twitter friends with David Limbaugh, and I wrote to him. I said, "Does Rush want me to come on or something?" And like that afternoon, Bo Snerdly called. And, they set up something, and I went on, and I was interviewed on the show by oh, Rush because he was such a fan of Justified. Yeah. And I would tell everybody I was on longer than Dick Cheney was. <laughs> you know? But uh, after that, like the writers of the show came up to me and said, "Hey, we we uh, we listened to your interview on the on the Rush Limbaugh show." I said, "Oh, you did? Am I fired?" <laughs> and they go, "No, no, we think you should keep doing it." I said, yeah, because I'm pulling in all that audience. You guys have been driving away for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. Yeah. yeah. And so, but then the next season, they wrote that in. And I told Rush, I think, I think that's the first time in television history that a character has been listening to Rush Limbaugh on the air, and he wasn't a serial killer was, or something <laughs> awful. That, well, that's what made it amazing. <laughs> you, you were the moral center of the show. I mean, because because he, the the uh, marshal, I now forgot his name. You'll tell me. <laughs> Timothy Olson. Uh, yeah, Raylan Gibbons. Raylan Gibbons, yeah. 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 You know, he was kind of a wild man. He'd go off the reservation sometime, but you were always the moral center of the show. And have the moral center of a television show listening to Rush Limbaugh was revolutionary. I mean, that was yeah. actually amazing. I don't think they really knew what they were doing when really? they did that. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But those guys are all, the the writers of that show. The head writer Graham is a close friend, and you know, oh. they they all know me very well. So no, I mean, I've always wondered this about actors because writers, your voice goes into everything. So anything you're writing is going to come out, you know, directly out of you. Now, obviously, that's true that you bring yourself to a character. But you don't have a say over the general tone or theme of the work that you're in. Is there anything you wouldn't do? Is there is there a, a movie that you would look at and say, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play that part because he's saying things I I can't stand. Well, you know, I as I'm not really scared of much of anything in terms of as long as the character makes sense. Right. Like it, it, you know, if if. It, <laughs> Like, uh, I go back to the human centipede because I think that's one of the funniest things that's ever been created. But, <laughs> but I go back to what Eric Roberts said about it. He said, whenever they ask me why I did the human centipede, I'm going to say I did it for the back end. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, I mean, uh, as long as the character makes sense, as I, uh, if I can get into his head, and, and because otherwise it's just some sort of cartoonish psychopath that's not interesting. Right, right, right. You know, but that's that's kind of where I draw the line. I mean, I don't mind playing real monsters as long as I can understand where they're coming from. What, what about the overall theme, like in the uh, the Shape of Water, you know, there was this kind of overall, uh, you, you felt that as a conservative, I, I mean, obviously a beautifully made movie and wonderfully acted and you were great in it. But, but at the same time, as a conservative, you felt you were getting this little bit of, like, tolerance lesson that you've, you've heard. Yeah. Does it ever bug you that you are, like, a part of that, or do you just do your part and, and go? 
You know, I, I always feel like I, I'm, I'm, when I sign on to a project, I'm there to help a person tell the story. And I feel like people have the right to tell the stories yeah, that I, they I want to tell. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, if I can understand the character, I, I thought I was the good guy in Shape of Water. <laughs> you know, I thought so I had a I really specific, all the way. I know. <laughs> specific point of view that made more sense to me than anybody else in the movie. Right, right. So, uh, and, you know, that that's, that's kind of how I go about it. I mean, there certainly have been some things that I've read in the past that I said I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because of the tone of it. But, uh, you know, as, like I say, I, I think people have the right to, to tell their stories. It, you know, one of the things that stuns me about Hollywood and people who, who've never worked in Hollywood have never gone near it. They're always saying all Hollywood cares about is money, which really isn't true. I mean, they, there is a lot of ideology going on. And here are, I, I can't remember the exact number of the people who voted for Trump, 63 million people who can't find, watch a comedian because they're all insulting them. You yeah. know, basically can't go to the movies because they're all insulting. They're leaving a lot of money on the ground. What if if you could like write down this is how to transform the culture? What would you say? What would you say to conservatives? How do you how do you get at least? I, I don't want liberal movies to go away. I want there to just everybody to get a chance to tell a story. How would you how would you engineer that? I would say just you know. Uh, Tell stories that interest you. Tell, tell stories that appeal to your values, but just tell them straightforwardly. Yeah. You know, don't don't feel like you have to beat the message into people. They'll get it. Right. You know, even I mean, the best kind of liberal movies, they they don't. Some of them do, and then the ones that do beat their message into you are bad. Right. And you can't stand it. But you know, like the Shape of Water, it it, it doesn't beat you over the head with it. It's there. Right. You know, but it, and. I think that's the that's the key, and the way that society has been so um, bifurcated now, uh, with liberals on one side making their products and conservatives on the other side making theirs. We conservatives have to find a way, a pathway to get their movies out there, right. to get their television shows on the air somehow. And that's why Gosnell. I mean, you know, we shot it three years ago. It's amazing. You wrote it four years ago. Yep. And it took us this long to get it to the screen because there isn't a pathway for our kind of movie. Right. You had to make your own way. Were you get, did you face headwinds? Did you face people who just said, we will not do this because it's about abortion? I'm told that. You know, yeah. I, I didn't have anything to right, do with the producing end of things after I directed it. But yeah, I'm told that they did get a lot of people commenting things like, this is a really good movie, but we're not going to be the ones mm. to put it out. <laughs> do you feel that now, this will this open up other avenues for you? Because, I, I mean, you're a good director. You, you know, this is, oh, you, thanks. No, you are. And yeah. I, I, I would think that people, people I know are always looking for directions. They're not that thick on the ground. I, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly have a couple of projects I'm pitching in different places and one script I've already written and uh, that I want to do. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a matter of if, uh, you know, if Gosnell does well and, you know, I get a reputation going as a director, that would be wonderful. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick, it's always great to see you and talk to you. You too, Andrew. You're so much it's nicer great. in person than you are on Twitter. Right? I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a failing. But uh, I'm glad that, that I was able to elevate your show. Uh, <laughs> You've elevated your show and, and elevated my script as well. So right. <laughs> you're just, you're just right. propping me up entirely. I'm, right? I'm helping you out as much as I can, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'll All talk right. to you again. Okay. <laughs>
One of the hilarious things about Needy Nick is if you read his tweets, he's so mean, and then you meet him, he's just one of the nicest people in town. All right, go see Gosnell while you're doing all these other clavin. You could just bathe yourself in clavinness for the next uh, several weeks, and it would it would improve your life, actually. Sexual follies. So a federal judge in L.A. has thrown out uh, Stormy Daniels' defamation lawsuit against Trump on free speech grounds. What uh, This is where uh, she was saying that she had been defamed by him. This is, this is Michael Avenatti engineered this yet another disaster, right? She said that she was being threatened. Uh, to stay quiet, and she sent this man after, and he made fun of her on Twitter. Trump made fun of her on Twitter, saying a sketch years later about a non-existent man, a total con job, playing the fake news media for fools, but they know it. And the the court said, uh, listen, this is rhetorical hyperbole, normally associated with politics and public discourse in the U.S. You can't uh, sue, uh, you know, somebody for saying, for basically practicing normal speech. This Michael Avenatti, oh, and he said that Stormy Daniels had to pay Trump's court fees. So that's a real slap in the kisser. Uh, Michael Avenatti is a disaster. But the reason I included this in sexual follies, first of all, it was followed by Donald Trump tweeting with his just that kind of elegance and restraint that we always expect from our president. Federal judge throws out Stormy Daniels lawsuit versus Trump. Trump is entitled to full legal fees. Uh, Now I can go after Horseface and her... lawyer in the great state of Texas, uh, to which the porn star returned. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is her tweet. May I present your president? In addition to his um shortcomings, he has demonstrated his incompetence, hatred of women, and lack of self-control on Twitter again, and perhaps a penchant for bestiality. Where did that come from? Then she ends game on tiny. So just so we know that, you know, our, our presidency, our public life is, and discourse is being elevated by these people. The thing that always gets me about Stormy Daniels is what is her story? She had a consensual relationship that she instigated with a billionaire, right? She then blackmailed him into paying her off. He paid her off and she agreed not to say anything. And then she said stuff. So she's like a completely disreputable person. On the on Trump's side of it, he is what we always knew he was, a billionaire playboy, right? He, you know, we, that's the way he behaves. We knew that when we elected him. So what are we learning from this, except that Michael Avenatti is like, a, obviously, a Republican operative uh, working, you know, in, within the Democrat Party to destroy them. I think this is like, this is actually a win for Trump. He should just keep his mouth shut now. But it is amazing what our public sexual discourse, I just want to remind you that years ago, Let's say 30 years ago, the press was saying, well, we have to cover sex now because it addresses character. It addresses the character issue. What have we learned? We already know what Trump's character is. We know completely what his character is. This hasn't taught us anything. It's just sex. It is just people selling sex and selling it at its lowest, most disgraceful, most disgusting, the most disgusting version of it. It really is it's degrading to the press. It's degrading to our discourse. It's degrading to everybody. Michael Avenatti should just go home. All right. Tomorrow, mailbag. Don't forget, go on dailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Claven podcast, hit the mailbag and ask me your questions. You can ask me your questions later today and I will give you answers that are guaranteed correct. What else can you ask for? They're guaranteed correct for a lousy 10 bucks. It's just amazing. It is amazing. Where else do you get a guarantee like that? And they'll change your life. Sometimes, for the better. Be here for the conversation in a couple of hours and for the mailbag tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show.
The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.